From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. We are back. Welcome, everybody, to episode 205 of the Killing It podcast you guys were in pretty good coordination we are like professionals you can put us back for a for a reunion show and it all just comes well, i mean, i gotta say that was better than the last three shows i'm just yeah, it, it, it was there. but you know at, after you fall off the bike a few times you let your knees heal and then you get back on the bike and then it's just like old skills so, so we are back for a for just for fun we thought we'd show up in your feed and drop an episode surprisingly in your feed so hey we're here. believe it or not i think we need to introduce ourselves so that was dave sobel say hi dave hi i'm dave sobel host of the business tech podcast and the guy here <laughs> you hear that voice that's dave sobel the next voice is ryan morris ryan morris principal consultant morris management partners and i'm carl Polichuk from small biz thoughts so so we are the killing it podcast. So uh, if you have not yet subscribed, please subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify and everything else, uh, everywhere else you can find us. Gentlemen, question of the day. The question of the day. What is your favorite childhood Halloween memory? So I have five brothers. We were all uh, paper boys, right? Where they had these monstrous, huge bags, right? To carry papers. Well, that's what we carried at Halloween. So no matter what your costume was, you had this big monstrous bag that would hold like a metric ton of candy. Um, But my favorite memory was we had a neighborhood, uh, a neighbor who always baked these tiny little loaves of bread. And then she put them in, you know, plastic bags and handed them out, which is, you would never do that today. But it was (laughs) so good. See, and I'll go where you're going, Carl, because I remember the day that one of the older kids in the neighborhood taught us at school the innovation of don't bring that little branded Halloween bag, bring your pillowcase. Uh, King-size pillowcase as much as you could possibly carry, right? Now, what I will say is, uh, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a person who dresses up for Halloween these days because I just literally never got into it. It's not because I didn't like the holiday. It's not because I don't think that that's a fun thing. It's because I grew up in a world where uh, it snowed on at least half of the Halloweens that I was doing. So our experience was, you know how when you were a child, you absolutely hated this, but now I look back on it and it is my favorite memory. You'd show up at the door and they'd go, well, what are you for Halloween? And you'd unzip your great big winter coat and you'd open it up and go, I'm a soccer player, but I'm wearing long pants and a coat. Or insert costume here. We were whatever the heck was under the very heavy coat because it was freaking <laughs> cold out there. See, I, I'm East Coast boy. And I grew up abroad, right? And, and so, like, it stopped because Halloween's an American thing, so stop for me in like fifth grade. Uh, and you're, the question is childhood, because I'm into Halloween, and I have dressed up a whole bunch of times as an adult. <laughs> There's been some really good Halloween parties as an adult, but the, the question is childhood. And I remember my parents built for my best friend and I this full wraparound car that like with, with working flashlight headlights. And I was taken around by my older sister, uh, who was in her mid-20s and her husband, 
and they were clearly also having a good time. And I'm putting having a good time in question, in, in quotation marks. And it was just one of those great, like, there's still a picture of the four of us, like, being out there with my, uh, you know, doing that. And so it's a, so, like, for me, like, that's the quintessential, like, I had the American suburban version of that where everyone's all running around and everyone is all dressed up. And that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I do have to say it is spreading uh, to some countries. So last year I happened to be, I, I go often in October to the SMBIT Professionals Conference in Australia, right? Which is always end of October. Uh, and then I wander somewhere else. So in Australia, there's like three feet of shelf space dedicated to Halloween. And it's literally like stuff from the 1980s. Like who, who, would, who would put on that mask, right? With the rubber band. Um, and, but then you go to Singapore and it, it's huge there. And, you know, there's, so there's some other places where, you know, it's catching on. So anyway, let us do a show. We always do three topics. And today the first topic is um, on a topic called overemployment or overworking. And this is sort of one of the things that is made possible by technology uh, where people Uh, because everybody's working remote, they say, hey, guess what? I don't have to be limited to one job. And we're going to actually put some links in the show notes. Uh, People are applying for multiple full-time jobs. Now, I will say my bias is if you're a contractor and you overextend yourself and you make uh, commitments to 80, 90, 150 hours a week and you don't fulfill that, the market will take care of itself. You will lose those jobs and you won't fulfill your promises and everything will fall on its face. Um, and if you manage to use tools to make yourself appear productive enough and your contractor renews the contract, it's all good. The thing that I don't like is the people who pretend that they are doing a salaried job that they are putting in the 40 hours and yet uh, they're dividing it up between three or four employers. And I find that to be fundamentally unethical. Uh, and I know that people say, well, oh, you know, uh, I need the money. Well, shit, I need money too. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you guys think about this? So I'm going to go on the other side of this. So I, I'm going to draw a line at the violation of contract terms as my line. If you're hired and you have an agreement that says you are the exclusive, you are the only person that I'm working with, that's my line, right? That you've made an, you've broken an agreement. And I, I think that's, that is unethical and you cannot do that because you have an arrangement with your employer for a, for a set agreement that you both sign. And there should be things in there that protect both sides. But I'm going to sort of say like, if you don't have that, I, I don't care. Like I don't. I, I, and have you ever I'm, had such a thing? Like no, I, I have not. Right, an employee. Like no, and you can't work for anybody else. Well, and and this is sort of the and the, so this is actually my point is is the like if employers have to be a contributing portion of the relationship, and you exchange and you negotiate what the, those terms are. And I don't buy into this idea anymore of this like there's this implied agreement stuff because. That's not true on the other side. They will happily, they will happily get rid of you because nothing is signed. They will happily, uh, you know, they will make changes to agreements. They've been, they're moving people around. They'll, they'll tell people, oh, you can work from home. Oh, now you got to be in, like because nothing's written down, and so they'll all just jerk everyone around. Every, every big company CEO uh, is is a master of the universe and genius on the way up. Uh, and, and blames the market on the, when they make mistakes and comes down and let every, lets people go. 
And so I don't – loyalty is two ways. And if you're if you're not putting your the, the other side in, which employers have very clearly not been interested in doing, this is ultimately just the logical conclusion of that. And I'm going to say this is why we have agreements, is to sit down and agree what the terms of the arrangement are. And if it's not written down, it's free for all. Knock yourself out. See, and, and I will go to the level of – uh, Carl, when you opened and gave us the description of a contractor who works multiple fractional engagements does not uh, does not require 40 hours a week in order to get one thing done, but adds enough value in the limited engagement that they have with a particular focus, with a particular project and a measurable outcome. Um, I think you just described my business model for the last 13 years, <laughs> literally, right? Like I said, I'm not going to be full-time employed by any one organization because A, it doesn't take me 40 hours to deliver very meaningful outcomes, but B, there are many people and to be employed by one organization, we all know there's filler, there's water cooler time, there's uh, things that are, you know, meetings that could have been an email and, and so forth. Uh, we, we all know and, and I've been amazed over the last couple of years as we try to normalize coming back out of the pandemic. Um, where remote work was quote unquote required by the universe, right? Um, as we've been trying to normalize all the articles that we've been reading that say stuff like, well, all that inefficiency is good. That's culture and that's teamwork and that's how we build relationships and you can't do that if you're remote. And my answer is, so for the last 27 years, I would beg to differ. It is possible to work remote, to work fractional, and actually add value. Here's the kicker, though. In any of these agreements, because Dave, I agree with you on, on the agreement terms, the agreement terms should be built on the output, not the input. The outcome, well, not the not the effort that it takes. In a perfect world, that's true. And and you know, back the last time we were doing a show, we may actually have covered this topic on our last episode. <laughs> but you know, I, I've always taken the argument that I measure output, but I measure output with contractors. If I hire somebody and the expectation is they will work forty hours a week for me, if they've got six jobs, right, because they have tools, uh, and I want that I want that productivity, but I don't want my job to be measuring every minute of their day. And if I know for a fact that the people who are going to take advantage of this, you know, the era we live in, I know that there are thieves out there. And, and to me, they are thieves. If you put in 14 hours a week and you bill me for 40, you are stealing my so money. And the problem is that that, you know, if you look at like the fraud with unemployment, because of the uh, all the money the government was spending. California has $32 billion worth of fraud because people could log on, file all this stuff, get a bunch of money, and they don't care about you and they don't care about the taxpayers, and right? They just want their money. Those people are now pretending to be working jobs and they will just do it until the money stops, then they'll go steal it from somebody else. Uh, and I think employers need to be aware of it. And to Dave's point, Maybe we are in an era where uh, you have to have a contract that right. says, and you right. can't work for other people. Or if you do work for other people, I don't care, but make sure you put yeah, it right. in the hours. And, and that is literally my point is, write it all down. That's what contracts are for. That's what agreements are for. But 
don't ex I think the expectation of implied loyalty and such and the, and the the what I'm pushing back on also is this like shocked faces of these horrified CEOs of oh some people are stealing from you know come on if the if it was turned around the other way I don't know last I checked you were all happily bragging about laying people off and and and, and just the ability you had to leverage based on that flexibility you enjoyed it when it was your side but you don't like it when it's the other side you don't don't get both. Well, you have. <laughs> I would encourage people to go to the overworking.com website and look at it because I, I have to say, Dave, you make it sound like all of these people are honest, hardworking <laughs> professionals who are just Not trying true. to earn a living. And a, a huge percentage of them are just thieves who literally do zero work, sign up for jobs, take the money, disappear, go to the next one. But, but we can both be right at the same this is where we can both be right at the same time right i can def, i can push to defend hard-working people so that they get the privileges and rights and benefits of the relationship and i can push back against those that are doing what i'm saying is, is this is the logical conclusion of employers thinking the best way to leverage their power is not write these things down and not create those relationships and you know what that's this is what's going to happen is that bad people are going to take advantage of that. And that's my point is, is the look, they can't have it both ways. You cannot have a world where you can do whatever you want, but then expect employees on the other side to net to always be completely ethical and not be taken advantage. Yeah, and, and this is where I will suggest it boils down to an evolution of basic metrics and terminology. You guys remember early days of the cell phone industry. How did you pay for cell phones? by the minute, right? And it rounded up to the next minute, whether you ended at five seconds or 59 seconds, right? <laughs> that was the way that it was done then. And we were charging and getting our business models built around individual units of, uh, of communication. How do you pay for your cell phone now? By a unlimited contract on the ability to be connected and in touch. How about we do that for employees? How about we just redefine things like Carl? Don't buy my hours, buy my outcomes. And then if it takes me longer to do it, that's on me, not on you. Yep. All right, guys, let's move to our second topic because uh, very big things are happening out there in the world. Uh, when last we convened, we made the observation that, that we were entering a brave new world, specifically in the context of artificial intelligence. ChatGPT lit the world on fire back in the winter of 22 and into 23. And now we are eight, 10 months past when we last made our personal observations. And we are keen to come back together and say, well, what are we using it for? What are you guys using it for? What is good? What is not good about all of this stuff? I'll, I'll put this to the context so you guys can, can kind of dive in here. N number one, does this feel like to you the way that the internet felt back in the late 1990s? Phenomenal cosmic <laughs> capabilities, many use cases. We didn't know what the heck we were using it for, but we knew that it would be something. Does it feel like that or does it feel different to you guys? Let's get practical. Talk about AI use cases in your real world. I've, it's the most excited I've been about a technology in a long time. I agree. Uh, and what's interesting is, is I keep being able to find things that it does for me. I, I'll raise my hand and say, like, I'm using that a lot of AI these days. If you told me back at the almost the last show, like how much you'd be using it, I would be, I would have 
it's been stunned. But but I will say like it's it's it is it is touching almost every portion of my production. I do I do podcasts. I do new news summarization. I do a bunch of bunch of research stuff. Wow, it's making a difference. Like wow, it it from inputs to outputs. It touches everything. So far as like that, I had to go forth and actually put together uh, amendments to my ethics policy to add AI information to it because I'm now using it enough uh, that I wanted to state that look, everything that that comes out as output is reviewed by a human. But wow, we're I'm using it. I'm definitely using it uh, because it's boosting productivity to such level, like from news gathering to 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 you know. To, and mostly, what I mean by that is, is like it's finding duplicates and making sure that I'm not reading the same thing 50 times. <laughs> it's uh, summarization, uh, you know, synthesis, then retooling content. Get, helping reshape it, you know, helping. And then also in the creative portion, I use it as a partner. Like, hey, this is what I've done. What did I miss? Here's, give me five other ideas that I might have might have not done this. And I'm reviewing them and using this input. It, it's kind of amazing. And I keep circling this uh, as an area where I think this is the massive bit to help organizations do be effective with it. And it's more around like policy and compliance and the way it Im impacts with human usage that I think is all the value. And I think there's going to be a ton of business there. But for me, it's been Well, I'm loving it because I feel like, you know, I'm a, a, as we all are, student of technology. Like I love going back and saying, oh, here was the evolution of the telegram or the car or whatever. And I feel like we are in the middle of something that instead of taking 30 or 40 or 50 years, We've literally seen 10 or 15 years worth of evolution in the last 12 months. And, you know, 12 months ago, October of 2022, I couldn't spell AI, right? So now now it's everywhere. And the the thing is, I, I feel like it's just such an exciting time because we're, we're literally in the middle of it as we exceed, see it exploding into new opportunities, creating new jobs. I personally am committed to the fact that I believe that the low... Uh, fruit for IT consultants is training your clients. Tell them what it, what is it and what is it not, and you may need to get educated on that. And then how do you use it and how do you not, <laughs> right? When is it allowed and when is it not allowed? Helping them develop an ethics policy and a, a you know use case policy for their own employees. Do some training, like this is how you do it, because uh, some of the most powerful things that I've seen people do is get the prompts right. And being a prompt coach is literally a job that didn't exist a year ago. And now uh, it's it's something that pays six digits for goodness sake, right? So, and you don't have to be uh, young and hip in order to, to get into this. Anybody can get into this. And because we, we have so much online ability to work, holy smokes, I just think it's a beautiful time to be alive. <laughs> see, and, and I will agree with you there. It is, I just did a look down at my phone to see what headlines have come in just while we've been recording this. And I had, I had nine little things come in, right? Newsletters, news announcements, all the things that come into my inbox. Um, uh, of those, I said nine of them that came in, seven of them included AI as one of the topics. It is everything and everywhere. And while Dave, I will agree with you, uh, so if you guys are listening, kind of put this into an architecture, Dave outlined level one of the services. We need to put guardrails, we need to establish policies, 
and we need to have ethics and uh, and institutionalization of how you use a new technology. And then Carl went to level two of here's how you functionally or as a technician use these tools very effectively and actually create more productivity and more value output using them. I'm going to recommend that the, the highest form of value for everybody, once you've established your policies, once you've given people tactical training on how to use the tool, the question is, yeah, okay, so, but what would I use it for? And this is where I'm seeing things that Quite honestly, to your point, Dave, they blow me away more than any technology I've seen in the last 20 years because it is surprising. It's not just a better way to configure a network. It's not just, no, no, you could do wireless networking instead of wired networking, which, by the way, that was pretty revolutionary when it happened. Um, this is, no, no, here's a tool and it'll do 101 things and you've thought of three. And there's somebody else out there who can come in and go, well, wait, what about this? Or what about that? And, and, you know, Dave, as you're illustrating, you're using it for news gathering. You're using it for review purposes. You're using it for productivity applications. This is where I see people actually getting value. And I, I know two people who are currently doing this as a business model contractor, not full-time gig, fractional, for many of their uh, customers to be topical on our first conversation. Um, they are getting vertical and they are getting industrial, meaning they are going into organizations and saying, hey, you're a law firm. Where are the ethical boundaries? Where, where, what is okay? What is not okay? And then here are specific ways for business development, for client relations, for actual discovery within a case, for courtroom preparation, right? Like they're getting granular on how you use this stuff. And then others are going in and saying, oh, and by the way, these are the things that humans are required to do, i.e. manufacturing and logistics and distribution. Humans must do these things. But here's all the other things that you could use this technology for. We're at the point in this evolution of technology where it's not about who can monitor and manage it from a remote location and make sure it doesn't fall down, just utility administration. This is the creative implementation. This is the engineer's mindset that says, here's 10 tools. I don't know. What do you guys want to do with it? Well, and that's, you've outlined exactly things that are perfect services, right? Like they're perfect consultative, uh, go into an organization and help them. Like when you describe it that way, it's like, oh yeah, the circle here, everybody, this is great services. Like this is where people should be in terms of investing in services. So I'm, it's why I'm super excited by this. And I keep, uh, I love the analogy that I've sort of latched onto the, the guys over at the tech meme ride home have this idea of the varietals of grapes and the various models being like that. And it extends perfectly into winemaking the way you use that. If you think of those models that way that a winemaker thinks of grapes, then it makes solution providers the sommeliers, right? And you're the people that are matching the right wines to the right customers. And it's exactly the logical extension of where this all goes because the, all the AIs are not the same, right? Different language models, different technologies, different types. I've been interviewing people on the show, like the different guys and the different types of models. They do such different things. You got to So one final stuff. note, and then I'll let Dave take the last topic. And that is, I'm so grateful that ethics has been a part of the discussion of AI since day one. It's uh, This is the first technology where I think ethics was, it, it hasn't always been applied, but it's been part of the discussion Amen. from day one. So, yeah. Yeah, At least they're talking thing. about it. <laughs>
So for our third topic today, I want to I want to take an idea I've been working on and throw it out to this this group for discussion because I, so I have uh, been less than kind to the idea of the metaverse over the past few years, and in particular, I want to say like in particular, I'm I'm very discounting of uh, the version, the legless version with with avatars and where you're going to immerse yourself in this weird online social experience. But I'm but I'm starting to see the a new vision of the metaverse that is starting to become interesting and partly because of AI. Uh, and there's two, two I want to talk a little bit about so we've got Apple with the, the Vision Pro which while it's still an awkward glass you know goggles thing it's very clear that that's a V1 that if we we start thinking that it should actually look a little bit more like what Meta announced last week uh, with their Ray-Ban glasses where it's more an idea of some glasses or an object that helps see the world a little better and also can display for you and can also communicate with you via, you know, microphones and speakers close to you. And if you then layer in AI where you can talk to it and interact with it, we get this world of ambient computing, spatial computing that starts actually making some sense to me. Uh, if we can if we can think out this idea of, hey, I'm going to actually put some glasses on and they can see what I'm seeing and I can talk to them and it can interact with me. Or I can have worlds where like I can extend my environment by putting on uh, some goggles and getting larger displays and more work like these are use cases that are starting to make sense to me. They are not as social as certain versions work, but they're starting to make a ton of sense. And I'm circling this saying, okay, if that's my de my my de definition of it, maybe the ability to bring my digital twin into the world or interact with the digital twins, that feels like a real space. Uh, am I wrong? Am I thinking about this right? What do, you, what do you guys react to that? Not not only do I think you're right, but I think Google, the people who invented Google Glass are like, I told you this 10 years ago. <laughs> You know, I do think the augmented reality, part of it is, I think we're still, outside of the world of gaming, I think we're still waiting for a use case other than the military, where I can look at a hobby and say, I would pay whatever, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars for this tool because it will allow me to do something I can't do now. Like if I look at a circuit board, uh, it, will, it will pick out, oh, it looks like that capacitor might be a little bit bloated that might be the issue, right? Or something that will help me be better at my hobby, be better at my job. Um, somebody's got to figure out what the killer app is. And I don't think we have a killer app yet. But I do think enough people are trying enough things that the killer app will emerge. It isn't, it isn't obvious to well, me. Well, and I'll take to it be. to uh, both of you guys teed me up effectively because A, digital twin. And B, and you guys knew I was going to do this on this topic. I'm I did. I did know you. Were, I did know you were going to bite. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna be very brief on the second observation. The use case w that we that we all are working towards is Minority Report, and I'll leave it at that. the The further application of this is all about the professional application, right? As Carl, to your point, it's not about what the individual might be able to do for entertainment or life enhancement yet. We're not to the Jetsons, but we will, I think, get to something like that. It's more within your function as a professional, what could you do more effectively? And 
this is where the concept of digital twin is taking off in very practical ways. I'll give you two examples, right? Number one, I am modeling a warehouse for efficiency, for minimizing the travel time for materials, for eliminating steps for technicians, for maximizing the productivity of an assembly line to get more product out of a manufacturing environment using same floor space, same people, same equipment. How can I do that? Well, imagine if I could actually stand in that virtual environment and look around and ask the AI, well, what would you recommend? And do I like this and test this out for me and run these scenarios and tell me what it might look like? Uh, you, you would be surprised at how many billions of dollars globally go into that precise service of designing and then implementing manufacturing floors and the flow of factory processes, right? That's, that's a very, very uh, sophisticated discipline. The second one that I will look to is, is back more into our world, right? Like chip designers are living in a world now where they can uh, go, honey, I shrunk the kids, right down inside of the motherboard and say, where does the information come from and how does it flow and how does it interact? And they're able to identify potential flaws in physical material that defeat the basic logic of circuit board design, the math, is all fine, right? Like I can tell you exactly how you ought to be designing circuits and chips and whatever, but then we have physical materials that are less effective in real application and somebody has to go inside of that thing and figure it out. I don't wanna get shrunk that small and go into it physically, but if I can do that in an augmented way, now the concept is working very, very effectively, but it begins and it ends with the concept of the digital twin. Everything that is in the real world replicated into the digital world where we can now interact with it productively. Well, I, knew you, I knew you'd bite, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I also have to say like, so the demos that, that I'm starting to see are the ones where in particular, you know, you're wearing these glasses and you interact with the AI and say, well, what am I looking at? And it identifies the building and it, and it provides context and information and I can speak to it. And you, it's this combination of vision with you know, audio and AI that brings it all together in a way where it's like, oh, I can actually start being smart enough to relay information, understand context, get the information from around me and provide it to me in a more discreet kind of way. And if you squint and you start thinking about this from the perspective of like, well, you know, again, I've, I'd always throw out the idea of like putting cameras on AirPods, right? And so that they're having the abilities is if you start thinking not with the version that we're seeing, but knowing that it will get smaller, faster, lighter, all of the right things and project out, it's starting to make a little bit more sense. The Apple, the Apple Vision Pro is, you know, the point where the, like the fidelity makes enough sense that it's like, okay, I'm actually can see some workplace environments for this. I could see the, I'm traveling and I need larger workspace. This is a good way to do this. And I'm going to throw this in there just as a tease. I actually spoke for the first time to a, to a provider who is focused entirely on the spatial computing space, like positioning themselves as the provider of the future for your all your spatial computing needs and by the way it's not a bs business like it's a legit like <laughs> actually making revenue delivering services in this space do i think it's the largest space possible right now no 
but that doesn't mean it's not something. And if it continues to grow and continues to expand, it's like, okay, I am highlighting this thing. I'm thinks it's, I think it's getting interesting. I'm still not thinking it's the legless future, but I am thinking there's something here. Well, and the, the thing about augmented reality is I don't have to be outside of my environment and I don't have to be blind to my environment, right? I, I can literally say I'm going to add something to what I experience now in my office being productive, right? Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, in, in many ways, I, I think there's great opportunities, but we, once again, business also have to find its use case of like, okay, that, I can instantly understand how that saves me money. Boom, let's do that. And you get your toe in the water <laughs> and then, you know, they start to have a budget for uh, augmented reality and that's that yep. will be huge. Well, and, and, and to put it in very practical terms, um, are we 12 months away from multi-million unit sales to individuals for consumer purposes? We are not. Are we 12 months away from multi-million unit sales to organizations for professional applications? I would argue yes. Maybe we'll see. I mean, it's but but it's 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 at least becoming a thing enough that I wanted to bring it back and go like, okay, I see the vision a little bit more, and it's actually happening. You see the vision. I see the vision, and it's actually happening. Sadly, we're done with that topic. Happily, we are we have completed yet another episode, and this will bring us to the end of episode two hundred five of the Killing It podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.